professional carpet cleaners and restorers podcast informs companies just like yours why we need to do this together. This free service allows you to obtain business insights to help develop and grow your company to allow for a better lifestyle. Together we have the ability to provide valuable insights, knowledge, guidance and personal resources accumulated over many years. This podcast is developed for you to claw back your valuable time and hopefully help with your forward goals. This podcast is all about giving back. No strings attached, no funny business, no get-rich-quick schemes, but simply to provide some of mine and our amazing co-hosts their wisdom, stories, and hopefully some valuable insights. Together, we have the ability to grow, sustain, and provide a healthy work-life balance for all the cleaners and restorers. As this is totally free, please subscribe, write a review, and share this podcast today. Now on to the show. This podcast This podcast is all about giving back. No strings attached, no funny business, no get rich quick schemes, but simply to provide some of mine and our amazing co-hosts their wisdom. Stories and hopefully some valuable insights. This podcast is all about giving back. No strings attached, no funny business, no get-rich-quick schemes, but simply to provide some of mine and our amazing co-hosts their wisdom, stories, and hopefully some valuable insights. Together, we have the ability to grow, sustain, and provide a healthy work-life balance for all the cleaners and restorers. As this is totally free, please subscribe, write a review, and share this podcast today. Now on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast for this week. Pretty special guest this week, Jerry Stamkos. Don't know if anyone knows him. If you don't, um, probably one of the brightest guys in the industry that I know of. No, so Jeremy started off um, working for your old man. Is that right? And, Great, um, yep. Yep. and um, has gradually moved into consultancy and into a new um, company now called Sage Global. It's an American company that's just getting started off. So we won't uh, just say hello to you first and a little bit about yourself and then we'll get started on what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on the show. I hope you can hear me all right. Um, yeah, I started off in, I guess, the essence of the restoration industry, working for my father on weekends when I was only in, still in school. So even 14, my father would shove me up air conditioning ducts <laughs> and uh, I'd crawl down them with a vacuum cleaner and anything that was too small for him to get into or if he just couldn't be bothered, I was climbing down vacuuming ducts. So vacuuming up everything from asbestos to mold to dust, all sorts of weird and wonderful things that would get recirculated through air conditioning systems. Yep. And um, yeah, I guess over the years, that was pretty cool things I did when I was 18, 19, but went back into the, the family business and um, eventually took the family company over in 2001, but I didn't want to be crawling up air conditioning ducts for the rest of my life. So um set a 10-year plan to be a, a national company uh, over a 10-year plan. And um, during that time, I think in order to expand, I wanted to, to learn as much as I could, uh, which meant going over to America, doing my, you know, the duct cleaning certification with NADCA, the National Air Duct Cleaning Association over there. And then obviously um, uh, there was the Indoor Air Quality Association was, was doing uh, mold remediation training back in... Um, late 90s, uh, it was, I think it was. 
uh, early 2000, 2002, 2003. So when did that? Uh, when did training from the American Biorecovery Association, learn about crime scene cleaning, uh, had asbestos removal license with the company. So we did you know, a lot of biological stuff, asbestos, we did lead. Uh, anything that I could get trained up in, I really wanted to do. Um, so we always did a lot of work with a lot of restoration companies, but being the specialist HVAC cleaning contractor. Right. Um, but then we also did a lot of biological cleanup with government departments for the Australian Navy and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, once I sold out of the company in 2013, I had a, a five year non-compete. So I wanted to use all that accumulated knowledge. And the only thing I really do is, um, start seeing if I could get people to pay me for my knowledge and do the consulting side of things. So that's when my wife, Stacey and I started back then it was Erin Moore and we traded for a few years under that. Um, and then we wanted to take the business to more of an online forum and do a lot of over the phone type consulting. So we set up restoration industry consultants and transitioned the business to that. Uh, that was in 2019 and like early 2020 we went to the states to launch over there and then we had uh, the old COVID hit uh, so we had to come back to Australia which we spent a month over there before we came back we sort of tested the waters a little bit over there but didn't get a lot done so um, in during 2020 uh, some uh, some people reached out to me about another venture about making buildings COVID safe and monitoring conditions in real time because we have the other business that does that but um it turned out that the two guys, two of the guys of the team of entrepreneurs that approached me um, wanted to help us launch the business into the US. So instead of being the, the same branding as restoration industry consultants, because we still do on-site work here in Australia, uh, they wanted a, pu a purely video-based call program uh, type uh, business offering, service offering, and uh, built that last year with them. Yep. And uh, this year in uh, January 2021, we launched Sage Global in the US. Yes. Okay. So that's the background of how we got here today. I mean, it, it's, there's a lot that's gone on there, Jeremy. So I've known you, how long have I known you? I've probably known you since 2017, I, I would say, 16, 17, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, you're in the, uh, I mean, you were the guy that knew Aircon. That was the HVAC systems. That was how I was introduced to you. I think we were doing a, um, in Melbourne, one of the, conferences in Melbourne if I remember correctly I think you're even talking then and um uh but but from there on it was more the fact of the uh the industry consultant so I've used you a few times and I know many people can call you up and you can talk to people over the phone what's what's the benefit of having someone with your knowledge as a consultant like we think we know everything until we don't but what's the advantage of having someone like your phone number to have a chat to? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And even through establishing Sage Global and talking to these great people that we've got on the advisory board, and these have been my peers over the years as well. Yeah. So we've got people like, you know, Norris Gearhart, Mickey Lee, Ken Larson, Rachel Adams, Ian Cull, whose material we teach here in Australia, they're on our advisory board. Um, going through the process of setting up Sage Global and getting these industry greats on our advisory panel and talking to them and the humility that these guys have um, in the fact that they all admit to you they don't know everything yeah. and they stick to what they know. And if they don't know, they'll tell you they don't know. Um, and that really speaks to why we set up Sage Global and, and having specialised experts. And even the ICIC talks about specialised experts. It's um, not many people talk about it in the industry about... Um, 
engaging specialised experts and when they're required. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a real shame because uh, for me, I know when my clients call up and they need that short bit of advice, it's they need some advice at that particular time to answer a complex issue for the project. And they might not always listen to what I have to say, but at the end of the day, they, they might have in their head the way they want to approach a job. But it's always great to have someone to bounce it off. And most of you guys, the restorers, you'll have mates, you guys have all got plenty of mentors and peers in the industry that you'll call up. Even they'll be a direct competitor, but you still call them up and you might have a chat about things and that's really good. But I guess from my point of view, and a lot of the time, they need it from someone who carries specific qualifications and insurances around giving some of that advice. Okay. And they don't always want it documented, um, but they're probably not, you know, half of the time they say, do you want me to put that in writing? Yes, I do. Can you please put it in writing? So I've got to give it to the loss adjuster. I've got to give it to the client, uh, the policy holder. Um, so yeah, the, the use of specialized experts, and I would only consider myself a, a specialized expert for, you know, things like HVAC hygiene. Um, I'm not even on the roster with Sage Global as a specialized expert at the moment. So I don't even cut the mustard with my own company yet. <laughs> okay. but, but saying that, um, you do teach. So, you know, you specialize in, uh, the, the mold side, the mold side you're specializing in. Um, you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I guess if, if anybody asked me what my strong suit was in restoration, it's, it's microbial decontamination and microbial remediation. So indoor air quality is obviously my big passion, but the, the special subset of that that I guess I'm really specialized in is microbial remediation. Yep. Um, so that's, that's where um, I've really focused on over the years with the, you know, with the crime and trauma scene, cleaning the mold remediation. That was my, my real passion and love and dealing with that as dealing with even infectious diseases in hospitals and setting up temporary containment systems in hospitals and, you know, cleaning um, ships after they've, you know, been biologically contaminated. That's always been my, my very specialised field focus on. Okay. Um, so when we're looking for training out there, and aside from the ICRC training and the RIA training, I was looking for something more along the, uh, the consultancy side of things. And that's where I came across... Uh, the, the IAQA University and Ian Cull uh, from Indoor Sciences developed a lot of the, the training material um, that is endorsed or recognised by the Indoor Air Quality Association uh, as some of the, I guess, the um, prerequisite training for doing some of their courses. Right. Uh, and also for the American, uh, American, what's it called, the ACAC, American Council of Accredited Certification. Uh, where you can do the training with someone like Ian Carl at Indoor Sciences, then you can go and uh, get an independent, uh, uh, I guess, validation of your experience uh, and sit an independently proctored exam and achieve a, um, a, a, a industry certification, which is fairly well in the US and, and abroad. So we approached Ian Carl, I think it was in 2018, uh, one of the conferences there, and I said that I really wanted to bring uh, three courses to Australia uh, two in particular that we teach a lot of, which is the Certified Microbial Investigator or Certified Microbial Consultant. And the other one is the uh, Certified Indoor Environmentalist or Certified Indoor Environmental Consultant. So they're, they're prep courses for the exams uh, and it's all Ian's, uh, Ian's material that he developed from Indoor Sciences. And we've had some very successful classes over the last few years. Obviously last year we didn't host anything. Um, 
but this year we're gearing up again and, and we're getting really good responses from people and it uh, looks like we're going to have booked out classes up the east coast over the next three to four months. What sort of people are you finding uh, taking, uh, these are more advanced specialised um, classes, what sort of yeah. people are you finding that are taking, is, is this, let's just say I'm um, doing remediation and thinking about getting into doing some mould, would this be something that I would do first or would I do other courses or what, what would you suggest there? There's no, there's no prerequisite um, for doing the CMI, like the Certified mm -hmm. Microbial Investigator. They do have a vocational level. So if you, if you still want to do the training and get some sort of certification or recognition of you, the, the fact that you've done the course, you can actually do the um, uh, Certified Residential Mould uh, Inspector which is you don't actually have to have any prior experience. You just have to work in the industry dealing with mold. Okay. And I think that's anyone who actually deals with mold on a, not, not even just a daily level, but in their job description in some way, uh, it's a great course for them because it, it makes them aware about the, you know, the dangers of mold, how it grows, that we touch on building science. Not actually gives them the basic understanding of building science. Psychometrics, yeah. um, moisture meters, how to use them properly, uh, all that sort of thing. So, any, any, the course is good from anyone that works in restoration that deals with water damage and mold. Right. Um, and right up to supervisors because the supervisors, um, I, would, I would say the majority of the people that, are, that, that undertake the class are not the guys on the tools, but they're more the supervisors or the project managers. Okay. Um, they're the guys that need to do more assessment work. So they want to make sure they're doing their assessments properly. Um, they are the guys who will be interpreting results if an IEP or somebody's gone out to do sampling or if they've done their own sampling, they've sent it to the lab, they need to be able to interpret those results. Right. So we, we really drill down into the limitations around sampling so they understand that what you see on a piece of paper and, and those numbers, yep. it may not be re reflective of what's actually going inside the building. So we teach them the limitations of that and I think it's really the supervisors, the guys doing the type of works, um, are really the ones who are attending in probably the more so than technicians. I don't want to give away too much of the course, but can we just um, touch on how we differentiate surface uh, samples that have been taken? Uh, you're talking about just because it says a number, doesn't sort of say that that is that number. How do we sort of read those numbers properly? Uh, for, su for surface sampling? Let's do surface sampling, yeah. Yeah, so with, with surface sampling, I mean, and again, it's, I don't see a lot of people doing surface sampling much nowadays as much as what they, they used to. Right. So, yeah, we, we had one the other day where we went out, or we didn't go, somebody had uh, surface samples, they came back. And one of the hardest things is if, if there's something really obviously wrong, it stands out. Right. It really stands out. So if you've got, you know, the, the real water damage indicator molds there and there's you about at least four of those um, water damage indicator molds, you know, such as cotomium, stachybotrys, which you don't, they're prolonged water damage molds. You don't really want to see them in your, in your samples. Okay. Um, doesn't mean they might be there in one or two spores or, you know, bits and pieces, but you don't want to see them in high, disproportionate numbers or any sort of significant concentrations. Um, people talk about aspen grouping of molds, the aspen-like. Yeah. They don't like it when you see, and it's confusing for a lot of people who don't know a lot about it when they see that aspen grouping of mold on their uh, on their lab report um 
it may be an indicator if you've got a high, if you've got a uh, a, 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 a significant amount of um, aspen-like mould in your surface samples, there could be a problem. There might not be a problem. Right. So that's why you know if it's disproportionate, you've got huge levels of aspen-like mould and disproportionate to everything else. Well, then that's really obvious. It's it's most likely an indicator you've got a, a, a water damage source uh, source in the property oh. so from assessment point of view it's it's important to know again you're talking about these samples are only talking about a couple of square centimeters each sample that's right yeah and if we encourage people to if they if they get some extra samples to put a couple side by side or do two tape lifts off one item within 100 mil of each other and just see the sort of differences that um can be found in, in these surface samples they can range very significantly so you have to be very careful. And because of the cost, people tend to not do that many of them. Okay. And they're trying to determine what the mold ecology is in a house based off half a dozen tapes. So you've sampled maybe at the most 100 square centimetres of an entire property. And you're trying to determine if people should live there or not. You're, you're trying to make a determine if the house is contaminated or right. are all the contents conditioned two or are they conditioned one. And that's, that can be really tricky to, to not get a big enough sample size to make those determinations. So, yeah, that's definitely, you know, fungal hyphae, presence of fungal hyphae. There's some other things that some of the labs are doing about, you know, if you have clusters of spores stuck together and not just single spores, there's different things you can look at. But not many of the labs are offering that sort of service and you sometimes want to have to pay a bit more for it. Okay. Okay. So, look, we don't want to go too much further, but um, it, it sounds very interesting anyway. So... I, uh, is that the one I set? Uh, I set the certified investigated one? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. So it just sound all familiar. So all right, well, let's let's get away from that from a bit. Um, so what what sage, what's sage global going to bring to the industry? What what what's the main thing that sage is going to do for us? So over over time, you know, even doing what we've done in Australia, and it's, it'd be the same with any of these teachers, you know, people who teach restoration and even for people like yourself, you would have people who are who you would be considered as a peer, and they would bring you up and go, "Hey, Phil, I've got this thing. You know, what I should I do in this situation?" Mm-hmm. Um, we, at, with restoration industry consultants here in Melbourne, and we can't always be everywhere. So I have a lot of clients that will just get me on video call and say, "Jeremy, here's the situation. What do you think?" Or it'll be a contractor who is, has done their post remediation evaluation, their internal check. They're about to call us out, um, but they'll run through the checklist with us before we come out. And so they'll get us on a video call and we'll run through and we, we charge a small fee to do that. Um, but the chances of them passing that post-remediation verification assessment by us is far more likely to pass first time every time if we go through that process over the phone. Yeah. So we've turned that into a, into a service and then that's where Sage Global was really born out. We can answer a lot of complex issues and maybe avoid conflict in, in uh, restoration projects. If we can have a, a team of vetted world leading experts, take a short answer query, which is, it might be something like, can you please verify that my drying strategy for this structure is adequate or defendable? I don't want to get to the end of my three week drying contract you know, period and then have some loss adjuster or somebody query my bill and say, no, you had too much equipment. We're only going to pay for this or pay so for that. We see this a lot in the States. We haven't really seen it much in Australia. Are you seeing the need for it to grow in Australia? Or? Um, it's, it's, it may not be. I mean, we see a fair bit of it. 
um, we also see a lot of conflict where the homeowner might not have the assurity that the restorer is doing the right thing. Um, so again, from the start, what we try and do is encourage the, the restorer to engage with the policy uh, owner or the policy holder to have a call with a leading expert from the start. So, okay, we're, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get this world leading independent expert to be a part of this call. Yes. We're going to explain to him what our approach is going to be. It's going to five, ten minutes. And then he's going to express an opinion. He might offer some advice. And then we're going to receive a five-page report with one part of that report expressing the opinion of that world-leading expert. And we believe it's, I mean, it's not something you'd probably use all the time, but for, for the few hundred bucks that it costs, yeah. to have that consultation, to tuck in that homeowner yeah. and say, okay, these guys have got this independent person, which I can actually call up. And we, what we're trying to eventually get to and make it affordable enough, you can have a call with an industry leading expert to start, middle and end of your project to give that assurance that they get to start before you set up containment, make safe's probably done. Yeah. But before you start doing strip out removal of materials, then halfway through, um, make sure your containment's all been done properly and the job. And then at the end, as part of the PRE process, you have the homeowner there with you with an independent third party. And, and this is obviously not on all claims. If we can make it affordable enough to try and avoid any potential conflict and getting kicked off. And we see all the time in Australia, we, Americans tend to, whether they're not admitting it or not, but there's less being kicked off projects. But here in Australia, we see it all the time. Oh, they were removed from that job. For whatever reason, oh, you know, we remo they removed and somebody else was appointed. The other main reason we, we started it too is because loss adjusters and insurers, if they have a query or they're not sure about it, who do they call? They usually call their competitors. That's right, exactly right. And it's, are they really getting an unbiased opinion from someone? Whereas we're providing a vetted expert. So first of all, they're a vetted expert. These are the world's best teachers and authors of standards and presenters. These are the best of the best. These are our peers. They've been vetted by an advisory board. They've been approved. They have to be approved by the full advisory board to be one of our consultants. Uh, and they have to abide by a code of ethics. So when you're asking for an opinion, you can get if you can for free, you can go and get an opinion from someone who might right. have a vested interest, or for a few hundred bucks, you can go to a world-leading expert who has no interest in the size of the job. Yep. He's not going to be on the job, or he or she's not going to be on the job. So you're getting the, the, an, uh, an unbiased professional opinion uh, from a world-leading expert for a few hundred bucks, and then it's followed up and documented in writing. So. Okay. I mean that's that's a uh, that's the selling point there, uh, and just I don't, like people might not know uh, of you. You're in Melbourne, but you do travel Australia, and uh, you got Papua New Guinea. I think you've done work up there in Papua New Guinea, was it? Or yeah, I've done quite a bit of work in uh, in Port Moresby. Port Moresby. Uh -huh. yeah. So so you you have to understand too that just because someone might be in Victoria and you might be in North Queensland or Northern Territory, Jeremy does know the standards of humidity and temperatures and all that sorts of things as well, building materials. And that's very important for a consultant to not understand that as well. So if you're just talking to your mate and your mates, you know, South Australia, he may not understand like a professional consultant will understand as well. So it's always good to talk to your mates, but always good to uh, bring that consultant in. And again, you're not going to bring it in for every job, but yeah. definitely going to be there for, yeah, it might be just the biggest one you ever get. It might be a you know, $15,000 mold job. Um, and for that thousand dollars for reassurance, whether you can charge for it or not, you know, it's uh, it's very beneficial. So 
Mate, I think it's going to be a great service. Uh, yeah, that. that sounds really good. So, all right, what's your, um, your other passion, Jeremy, is smoking cigars. Yes. Mate, so the last time we caught up, we were at the RAO conference in um, Twin Waters on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. And you gave me a cigar and I took a puff and I went, <laughs> like that. Thought I better try another one. Took another puff. <laughs> no good. But you seem to like him a lot more than that. And uh, you've made a little business out of it as well. So this is very quite interesting. So let's let's talk about that for a little while. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I could talk passion. forever. I'll try, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. What, what might interest um, some of the people in the industry? Yeah, I, I first got introduced to cigars when I was Remember how I said that there was a little gap between 1819 when I, when I didn't do yeah. work for the family business? I was doing security work overseas and I was actually working um, uh, in the Philippines and the son of the Mexican ambassador in the Philippines, in Manila, introduced me to cigars. Right. So 19 years of age, I, I was introduced to cigars. Mate, I don't know if that's true, but that is a whopping great story. So yeah. we're going to go along with it. So. If I actually told you what I was doing in the Philippines, you wouldn't believe me. But anyway, so well, let's just leave it at security yeah. work. Yeah, security. Uh, just glorified security work. <laughs> but anyway, um, from the, I didn't really smoke much over the years because cigars are expensive. The tobacco tax in Australia, as you know, is going up and up and up. Premium tobacco, I never smoked cigarettes, but premium cigars has always been uh, a vice of mine. Uh, and then over the years, because we dealt with mold and because we dealt with humidity and the environment, the built environment, it was after I took over the family business, we had a couple of jobs where there was mold in, in Australian warehouses where they were storing cigars. Right. And back when I was young, I didn't really know much about the storage conditions of cigars, but through doing these couple of projects, realized cigars in order so they don't dry out and lose all the flavor, all the sugars and the oils in the tobacco, you have to keep them, you store them between 65% RH and 70% RH. Anything higher, they're gonna go moldy. Anything lower, they're gonna dry out and taste horrible. Right. So, and then aside, yeah, that was so, so, okay, this is actually quite interesting. I'm wondering, because I like cigars, I started, oh, maybe I can do some more consulting in this space. And over the years, I guess I've done more and more for private cigar lounges, um, uh, indoor smoking lounges where they have whole rooms where you walk into and there's you know, 10,000 cigars or 50,000 cigars. And we discovered that there was microclimate. So you'd have little pockets of too much humidity in one pocket and all the cigars are going mold down there. So we would help troubleshoot and figure out why they're going dry over there and why they're stale over here. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, it, the whole understanding of, um, of psychrometrics, my knowledge about indoor air quality, um, humidification, dehumidification. Um, one of the jobs where the cigars were all drying out, they'd had a high wall split air conditioner, which was just stripping the humidity out of the room. So all their cigars were, you know, they had the humidifier trying to work, but then they were, had a high wall split air conditioner stripping the air, acting like a dehumidifier. Um, so they're fighting each other. So yeah, we've, we've, I've used my accumulative knowledge from over the years of dealing with mouldy buildings and the air industry to really hone in and provide consulting now on the storage of cigars and we do have a separate business which does continuous monitoring of indoor environments and part of that business is now called stored right and we now offer stored right certification for these storage facilities where they maintain the right temperature and humidity 
at a constant um, a constant variable for their for cigars, and we actually give them stored right certification. So um, if you are connoisseur, you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on a box of cigars. Are you gonna buy them from anyone, or would you rather buy them from a, a retailer who has a certified facility, independently certified facility? It's a lot of money. It sounds crazy, but people are paying five hundred bucks to a thousand dollars for a box of cigars here in Australia. Yeah. So if you're putting that sort of money, you light up a smoke and it tastes terrible. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of a bummer, but you've got no guarantee they're going to be fresh when you buy them. So yeah, that business that business again is is taking off really well, and I'm, I do a lot in it. Um, but yeah, uh, have to uh, set up all the protocols for the reporting systems and which sensors we use and. I've even seen some of the guys in the industry using exactly the same sensors that we're currently using as well. A uh, little Wi-Fi enabled battery operated okay. temperature yep. emission sensors. Right. Okay. So I don't know if you can talk about it. Last time we spoke, we were in Florida. Yeah. Um, and you had a pretty high end customer with some cigars that you were going to go set up his room over in Dubai. I think it was, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I can't say That's exactly. I won't say right. I knew exactly. Right. Right. But yeah. You're talking about some pretty hefty, um, some pretty hefty clients. Yeah. With the, with the price of premium tobacco, I mean, they started a, a premium cigar will start at sort of like eight, nine, $12 a smoke. Right. And some people think that's crazy. And the Americans think if you pay anything more than 15 bucks, you're crazy. But here in Australia, you can't, you, you cannot even get a cigar that's, nice cigar for less than 30 40 dollars and in america what they would pay for an ultra premium cigar you know 30 bucks 100 bucks so in a lot of the taxes around the world people are paying 100 dollars a cigar so you can imagine someone who's got a lot of money in the uae or yeah uh, in europe or something like that they want to make sure they have a, a pleasurable smoking experience so they're willing to pay big money to make sure that not only is there are their humid or their cigars stored beautifully um, but they want to smoke indoors too. So yeah, so that, that leads us to the next thing is you're uh, you're doing things with indoor environmental for your place, um, and I guess that's what you've done in the UAE and um, Cuban smokehouses or something in in Florida. I think you're over there doing that for them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So ex- explain that. What? How do you? How do you do that? What's What's the process? Is it the same as the dehumidifiers and air scrubbers that we use in restoration or some of the restoration technologies we do incorporate because the same thing it's pollutants in the air that we're trying to deal with yeah in, in an indoor smoking lounge i saw somebody the other day put on one of these cigar forums that oh somebody complained about there being too much smoke in a cigar lounge and all all the all the fee was everyone was ripping shreds into this guy like oh what an idiot don't go to a cigar lounge if you don't like the smoke and it's like well, and i, I wrote a, a, a nice comment saying guys you need to stop if too much smoke in a cigar lounge wasn't a thing. Why are all the cigar lounges putting in uh, electric precipitators, uh, exhaust systems, yeah. uh, air charcoal filters? All yeah, this- yeah, carbon filters, that's what I was going to ask you, yeah. So when you smoke a cigar, you don't inhale the smoke. It's about the flavour, the aroma. But if you've got a room of 50 people smoking in a lounge, when you inhale to breathe normally without your cigar in your mouth, you're inhaling a huge amount of secondhand uh, smoke. Right. And it's not good. You're not supposed to do that. So there is such a thing as too much smoke in a cigar lounge. You don't want it. So depending on where you are, and this is where it's really important for talking about climatic regions, even from indoor air quality and for mold and restoration, you need to understand the conditions. I mean, we don't have, so in Melbourne and Brisbane, you're not going to have snow in winter and then the scorching heat in summer. But you go to places like Boston or New York where you get 
you know, snow in the winter and you get scorching hot summers. In Australia, we don't really understand that. So when we do the consulting for this, we can't say, oh yeah, put an exhaust system in. When it's minus 20 outside, you can't just exhaust air out and get all your makeup air coming from freezing cold air outside. Right. Um, so you need to understand, okay, if we're going to exhaust air out of this building or out of this smoking lounge, are we going to use an exhaust heat recovery system? Are we just going to use recirculating air purifiers? Um, how are we going to deal with it? So you need to look at the climatic region that you're in. Uh, you need to look at, okay, at the time of year, what are the different systems and processes? So there's so much technology out there. And, um, yeah, in the day, I guess, electrostatics has been a big one for reducing smoke, uh, but they're high maintenance and nobody cleans them. Nobody services them. Right. So they get put in there up on a ladder. Unless someone gets up there every month and cleans out the filters and does the washes, the cells, the pre-filters, it just doesn't get done. So, we're looking at new technologies like ionizers, hydroxyls. You guys have seen these sort of things. Yeah, the hydroxyls are a good thing. We can't use ozone generators. You could overnight to get rid of odors, um, but it's not so much that. It's more dealing with the airborne smoke during that period of heavy smoking uh, when you've got a room full of people. Yes. Some of these cigar lands, you walk into, your eyes just start watering straight away as soon as you walk in. Okay. So, yeah, th there's been a big demand for it, and some of the biggest cigar manufacturers in the U.S., have their own cigar lounges and you'd think that they'd be on top of this sort of thing, but they've asked us to go over there and actually help them set up their, their what they need for their smoking lounges. How as well. many air exchanges? Is it 12, 10, 8? How many air exchanges are you looking at per hour? Look, there's actually, there's a lot of guidance documents in the US and even here in Australia for indoor smoking lounges. There's actually requirements uh, for, because you're allowed to still smoke in the high rollers areas in the gambling, uh, in the casinos. Oh, right. So we've right. been involved with the, the casinos and they're high, the high uh, rollers areas with the, um, looking at what they do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the minimums for, for air changes per hour. Seems um, low. It, 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 well, it is low, but I mean, it's like everything. It's, how many smokers have you got in there at the time? Yeah. How many people are smoking? Uh, it, that's a huge, I mean, what I prefer to see is an on-demand system. So okay. yeah, as required, and that's why we have in here, we will light up a smoke and the fan turns on automatically. Right. And then as the particle count goes up, the fans ramp up. So I, I, I can make set points on, a, on an exhaust system. Where we live here in Melbourne, I'm, I'm sucking air from the rest of the house. So I've got my heating on my cooling in the rest of the house. My makeover is coming from my house. I'm not really concerned about the energy because I'm not flushing out high volumes of smoke out of the house, volumes of air out of the smoking lounge. Okay. So I'm, my, my makeup air is just coming from the condition part of my house. So it's not a big deal. I'm not worried about energy efficiency. But when you're talking about a casino with you know, huge areas, if you have a constant volume exhaust system, your makeup air at certain times it has to be a dehumidifier. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it should be, it should have humidification put in if it's really low humidity outside. Yeah. Um, other times you, you can't suck air from outside. When we had the fires for a weeks and you know, several weeks last year, you'll be sucking as much smoke from outside as you were exhausting yeah, out. That's right. <laughs> so then all those sort of things need to be looked at, but I mean, yeah, on it's really, it should be an on-demand system. That's where we think it is. And not many people have done that. Uh, but we want to be one of the first consultancy worldwide that we can actually have an on-demand as you, without even thinking about it, you know, just if you want to light up smoke yeah. as the smoke increases, we'll have an intelligent system that says, oh, outside temperature is this, we can take air, make up air from outside. No, we have to put it through a preconditioner. Oh, no, we can take it from the rest of the building. So 
having different dampers and actuators and building a little bit of intelligence around it, um, you know, on those bigger facilities, we can make the air quality fantastic without um, compromising energy efficiencies and things like that. And also operational performance, because if you're sucking in a huge amount of outside air, just say if you're in Brisbane yep. in the middle of summer, so you've got, say, 38 degree day at 90% or 95% humidity. Now, if you're going to draw that in as your makeup air, what's that going to, you know, you're going to have to have a pretty damn good outdoor air uh, pre-conditioning uh, pre system to condition that air before it comes into your, into your area. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having the intelligence and the smarts built around it is where, what we're trying to focus on with that part of the business. Yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent. I mean, that, um, that could almost be brought into the restoration side as well if you had a big enough job. I mean, seriously, because that's, uh, that's one of the biggest things we find at the moment, especially with containment, unless you've got a, a, a structure that's pretty sturdy. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cross-contaminations and that sort of stuff as well. So people don't often really think about where that extra air is coming from and yeah. the condition of that air. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. How do you um, how do you test these cigars? What's the what's the process? So with um, well, there's there's two things we normally test. Well, don't test cigars for one of with moisture. There's never really been a way, and there has the manufacturers of cigars have ways of testing the moisture, and they they have actually got moisture meters where they have adapted either a soil moisture meter or a wood moisture meter and they've put longer pins on it and they shove them into the tobacco to, to get the, um, I guess, moisture content by weight equivalent. So, but they've never really, because they're not a purpose-built moisture meter, they haven't been calibrated to tobacco. Right. And, you know, when you when you go into your settings on your on your moisture meter, you can set it for different species of wood because they've got right. different... Uh, different resistances at different moisture content. So if you, you can take 10 different species of wood, albeit 15% moisture content, but the resistance will be different. The, the electrical conductivity in the material between the two pins when you put them in will be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, not, not significantly, but a, a little bit. So for tobacco, there, there's never really been a, a thing until a few years ago where uh, a guy in Chicago uh, invented uh, a moisture meter more redesigned moisture meters and he's he's built this little device here That's um, a it's a humidimeter humidimeter okay so it looks just like a moisture meter that we would use in restoration with the pins and you basically take a cigar and push it into the bottom of the cigar so that's the smoking in where you draw from well you can do it from both ends Typically, yeah. the end that's open that you don't cut is a little bit drier because it's been exposed to the elements for longer. So if you, if you put it in for what they call the cap, where you, with the bit you put in your mouth, you get a bit of an idea. Now, that's 55. I've had that sitting out for a little while. Yeah, 55, 56, yep. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's good for smoking, but not for storage. It's going to be up around 65 for storage. So the reason he's done it in a... It says relative percentage, relative humidity, but we all know that that's... Well, we all know talking to your listeners, that that's, it's not giving a relative humidity because this is not a hygrometer. These are pins measuring electrical resistance. So we know that that's the calculation that we normally look for is turning that electrical resistance reading into a moisture content by weight um, or a moisture equivalent size, a percentage of that product. So he's, done, he's worked out the maths and saying, okay, well, if your cigar has been kept at 70% relative humidity for a 
couple of weeks, then that cigar's equilibrium moisture content should be 15% by weight. So the original 15, the, when he worked out the resistance and said, okay, well, that resistance equals 15% moisture content, that now equals 70% relative humidity. Mm-hmm. Because cigar smokers don't know about moisture meters, if you were trying to tell them, oh, your cigar's 15% moisture content, it wouldn't mean anything to them. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a little bit wrong in the way that it comes across. It's not giving you a relative humidity, but it's what it's the, it's the equilibrium relative humidity at 70%. So he's done the right thing by putting out a device, which is cigar smokers understand. If I shove it in and it says 90, it's too wet, but you'd probably feel that anyway. The cigar would be all spongy and wet. Um, if it's at 55 or 45% relative humidity, it needs to go back into the humidor and, and come up to heat to make it uh, not go stale. So it's a cool little device. It actually comes with a calibration check block. You can buy the calibration check block. And like you and I were talking about before, for any restorers who don't carry cal- calibration check blocks like this one for the, the Delmhorst. That's so it's the, got, that's so one it's got for the 12% and 22%. Yep, yep. 22% on it. Yep, and you put the pins on either either, whichever one you're trying to do. Uh, I encourage every single person in the industry, if you, if you use moisture meters, don't be a miser. Pay the little bit of extra money for the calibration check blocks. They don't cost a lot of money. And do it every now and then. Because even with the Tramex and their, their calibration plates, this is not a lot of money. But you know, you're going around telling people stuff's wet or dry based on these things. And if it's a prelim assessment with a Tramex, if you're, you could be giving people a bum steer. When was the last time you checked them? That's right. I, I know from experience. <laughs> you know, 20 years in the industry. You, know, you, you we never used to check things properly. So I just, it doesn't cost much. And if you just want that bit of assurance, because the first thing I do, if I go to a job, all right, they tell me something's wet. How did you check it? We use this. Okay, cool. Put it down, have a look, put it on the check block. Yeah, cool. And just even I carry them with me to jobs. So my restorers can use my check blocks to check sure. their gear. And it's not often that you find them out a lot. A little bit's okay. You know, if something's 0.5 out or one out, it's not a big deal. But if it's 10 or 15% out or 20, 30% out. That's right, yeah. It can, you can be over-drying, under-drying, wasting time and money on jobs. So, yeah, I always encourage everybody to, to get the check blocks, always. Up in the area, you can use mine. Yeah. <laughs> what else you been up to, mate? What's, uh, how's the shed going? I've been fighting council for 12 years to build a goddamn right. shed. <laughs> we, had, we had a building, we had a hearing with the North Tribe weeks ago they said six weeks before we get a reply so i'm a man without a shed and it's a bit of a sore point so thanks for bringing it up how's your shed going that's great mate just finished on friday it's fantastic so so what's the plan what's the new plans moving into 2021 mate uh you're doing a bit more travel getting out of victoria we bought a caravan because we don't we want to stay out of hotels and airplanes so we we bought a caravan we've already done one trip up to southeast queensland to do some work um and then we're just about to start announcing a bunch of dates where we're going to be traveling up because we have we do work right up the east coast we have people in townsville cairns sydney and melbourne now right so and brisbane of course and gold coast so um a part of the thing was we're going to just get our own staff certified. But as we're traveling through, we're just talking to all our clients and saying, you guys can come along to the courses and jump on in. So we'll probably limit most of them about 15 people instead of the 20 people that we would normally do okay. uh, to be COVID safe. 
but yeah, looking forward to a lot of training. We've never really done sales, but I've got to keep all these mouths fed now. So we're actually talking with more and more clients and uh, doing more training. And one of my big things is, is training. I love that. I love the industry that we're in. I really want to give back and, you know, the more that we can push training and uh, advocacy and doing the right thing. Absolutely. We're talking to some of the big companies now, um, which we never really approached before. Um, so yeah, and getting them along to the courses, the training courses, uh, which is great too, because they get to meet other restorers like yourself and, uh, and other, other people who are coming along and our clients who are doing things the right way, um, which is really exciting when they see and they get the chance to meet some of the other restorers they may have not, not met before. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting times. I think 2021 is going to be an interesting year. A lot of travel up and down the East coast. We're going to try and get a, a, a training, uh, over in Adelaide. We've got a few people there been uh, chomping a bit to do some training over there. And Stace wants to go through the Barossa. We haven't done that before. So okay. now, we've got, now we've got the caravan, we'll do some training and then spend a little bit of time in the Barossa. Uh, <laughs> much traveling going on, obviously. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, 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 it's all, it's all work, mostly work. Now, there might be, is there mold on grapes? Is that a problem? Yeah, you have to check. <laughs> <laughs> so how would uh, how would people get a hold of you these days, Jeremy? Um, the best way to keep up to date with what we're doing, especially with things, is either just uh, our social media. So we're not on Instagram with the businesses. We're on, um, obviously, with Facebook, uh, with all the businesses, restoration industry consultants. Uh, I post... Remember the day when Facebook used to be just for friends? <laughs> don't remember those days? Well, and not that I don't... It, so I don't know, mate. I really don't know. Uh, well, not, not that I don't have a lot of friends who are restorers, but uh, my Facebook page is now, you know, thousands of people around the world with from, from all walks of life, cigar industry, restoration industry, all that sort of thing. So I do post over on my personal page um, uh, our events that are coming up. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, restoration industry consultants, um, the website... Uh, LinkedIn, we announced the courses on LinkedIn. Um, and with Sage Global, that company is going to be releasing a lot of good content. We just did a, a good interview with Ian Cull uh, around specialized experts, around industrial hygiene, or as we call it, occupational hygiene. Yep. So if yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of that with our board of advisors. Uh, so some great, heavy, some really great people in the industry and even our actual consultants who are on the panel that we provide, provide services uh, to our clients. Uh, we're going to doing Q and A's with them and asking the tricky questions and like like you're doing uh, with a lot of your guests, for asking pertinent questions yeah. that people will find interesting. They go, oh, hang on, oh yeah, that's another alternative. It's a different approach. So okay. yeah, we're going to get some of these guys on, just throw them a bunch of questions, break them up into short little videos, little information pieces. Uh, so I'll be sharing a lot of that on on social media as well through my own channels. Plus, if you want to go to the Sage Global on LinkedIn or uh, Facebook, you'll see a lot of the good content on there as well. Yeah, excellent. Mate, I can't appreciate enough coming on and doing this for us. So pleasure. Hopefully, uh, the listeners, first of all, find out who you are. Um, there is people in Australia like you. Uh, you're not the only one, but you're very, um, very knowledgeable in a lot of different areas. And you know, you also get back to people, which is something strange in this industry. People don't get back to each other. But anyway, that's another conversation. So, but yeah, definitely reach out to Jeremy, guys. Um, great guy to talk to, and. Certainly got me out of a stick more than once. And it's good just to throw back some ideas and uh, get a different perspective. So, again, thank you very much. And Stacey, you're probably around the back there somewhere. Oh, she's, uh, she's, um, she's doing different with the kids so they can stop okay. screaming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll catch up soon anyway. So, thanks, buddy. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Phil. Later, mate. Thank you very much.
By assessing this podcast, I acknowledge that the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, or surface, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in these podcasts do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast, or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and all links referenced herein. Moreover, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elemental codes that manifest contaminating or destructing uh, properties. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.